All right, look at those words that we just sang. It's kind of the story or the book of Joshua in one uh, in one screen. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. The picture is walking in uh, to a crowded room of people you've never met, walking into a new job, starting something new. You've never failed me yet, and I can obey you today, Lord, trusting and your perfect plan for tomorrow. So we are continuing with the Old Testament. We are kind of doing a helicopter flyover of Douglas County, which means you see some of the peaks, you see the bends in the river, some of the big things, and and maybe not all of the details on the ground, working our way towards Matthew this fall. And we'll work through Matthew at a much slower pace Last week, we talked about the tabernacle, God's presence with his people. Ben's got some slides. These are some of the pictures that we asked the kids to draw. So check these out. Kids, you did a great job. You're going to see the genie appear in two or three different pictures. That was fantastic. There's a genie. God's not a genie. I like that. That's clear. We have Moses. We have the tabernacle. We got God's cloud, God's glory. No stealing. Don't forget, no stealing. Bobby Joe Duckworth. I don't know. Fantastic genie. Kids, you have done a great job these first. This is our third week doing family Sundays. Next week was our fourth and and final week doing that. And, And so, kids, we'd just like to ask you to participate as you feel led. And there's goodie bags with things to help you follow along and and draw pictures and we'll show your picture on the screen next week and we will say well done Um, one of the things we want to do to kids to help you see that what we do in here is kind of like what you do in your classes we're going to start with a short two-minute video from our kids curriculum that talks about Uh, Joshua and what we're doing today. So kids, we want you to know that we're studying the Bible just like you're studying the Bible. So Ben, uh, let's start that video straight out of the kids' curriculum. Joshua. The Israelites were camping near the Jordan River. They were so close to the land God had promised to give them. There was one more thing they had to do. Take it over. Many other people lived in Canaan, and the Israelites had to defeat them. Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to check it out. They stayed at the house of a woman named Rahab. The king of Jericho heard the spies were with Rahab, so she hid the men on her roof to keep them safe. Rahab had heard what God did to Pharaoh and believed in God. She wanted to help his people. When it was safe for the spies to leave, Rahab said, Please be kind to my family since we have been kind to you. When you attack Jericho, please do not kill us. So the spies promised to keep Rahab and her family safe, and they left Jericho. Rahab tied a bright red rope in her window so the Israelites would know which house she lived in. Now the city of Jericho was closed up. No one left and no one entered. The people in Jericho knew the Israelites were near, so they hid behind the walls of the city. God gave Joshua instructions. March around the city one time each day for six days. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, and the priests should blow their trumpets. Then all the people should shout, and the walls of Jericho will fall down. The Israelites can then go into the city and conquer it. Joshua commanded the people to carry the Ark of the Covenant and march around the city. The priests blew their trumpets. They marched around the city one time. The second day, they marched around the city again and then returned to their camp. They did this every day for six days. 
On the seventh day, the Israelites got up early and marched around the city seven times. When the priests blew their trumpets, Joshua said, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted, and the wall fell down flat, so the Israelites could go into the city and capture it. They destroyed everything in the city, keeping none of it for themselves. But Joshua and Caleb spared Rahab and her family because of her faith in God. Joshua declared, Anyone who tries to rebuild this city will be cursed. God was with Joshua, and everyone in the land knew of Joshua and what he had done. God gave the city of Jericho to the Israelites. He fought the battle for them and told them not to take anything from the city. God promised to provide for his people's needs. Jesus spoke of God's provision in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be provided for you. Jesus meets our greatest need, to be saved from our sin. We can trust him for our salvation. All right, so as you can see, we are in the book of Joshua. If you recall from last week and where we've been the last month or so, we've got the people of Israel, the Hebrews, out of slavery, through the wilderness, they come to the promised land, and God says, here it is, hooray, hurrah, go get it, and they wilt, right? They're scared. It's filled with giants and fortified cities. They don't feel up to the task. They doubt that they can do it, and don't we know that often self-doubt is really God-doubt, and so they God-doubt, and God says, fine, have it your way. They go out into the wilderness for another 40 years. The generation passes away. The young people grow up. God says, now is the time. Let's go, and if you are one of the Hebrew people at this point, you might be a little concerned because you're going into a city that your parents were afraid to go into. You're going into a region that is filled with giants. You're going into a region that's filled with dozens of fortified cities. God is going to need to do something for you, delivering these cities, delivering you from your enemies. And you haven't seen God do that before. This is uncharted territory. On top of that, it's been like 600 years since God told Abram that he was going to bring his descendants to this land. So if you're waiting for God to work, if you're someone who's been studious, been patient, you know what the law says. You know that Abram was promised a promised land to his descendants. You know that Moses and the people of Israel were promised land. At some point, you get tired of waiting and you just say, it doesn't look like God's working. It doesn't look like he's doing anything. It doesn't look like he cares. And so God is calling this small people to a really big task so that he can show this small people that they have a really big God. And it's going to feel to them like an impossible mission. And so kids in the room, we want you to know that the world is broken and it's tragically broken because of sin. And that's going to make following the Lord difficult. And you're going to even find yourself in a minority doing that. Um, And that's part of what we mean by the world being broken is there's a blindness to spiritual things. There's a blindness to the good that Jesus wants to do for us. And so sometimes kids following the Lord is going to feel like an impossible mission. And it's not just for you kids. It's it's for parents. It's for adults, too. Uh, Kids, your parents, adults have read 
Jesus' summary, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 28, as you go about your business, as you go your way, as you're with your family, as you're at work, declare the power of God to save and help people find and follow Jesus. And so kids, your parents feel the weight of those commands. And sometimes those commands feel like an impossible mission. And so we find ourselves asking, can God come through for me? Does God see what's going on? Does God have a plan? If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Joshua chapter 1. The first point this morning is is just that God is faithful to provide everything his people need to do what he's called them to do. In this case, God is faithful to provide a leader for his people to follow. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. We'll read verses 5 through 9. I want you to see that Joshua is the man that God has chosen to bless And that God is committing to bring about his good for his people through Joshua and Joshua's leadership. Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is what God says to Joshua. Part of it. God says to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. I like that line because it kind of implies that Joshua is going to do things that might cause God to want to leave or forsake him. God says, nope, not going to leave you, not going to forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's interesting that God doesn't say, Joshua, you have graduated from military school. You are ready to lead the people. God doesn't say, Joshua, I'm going to give you wisdom and all knowledge and all all aspects of strategy and you are going to be an indomitable warrior go lead your people what does he say in five and in verse nine the lord your god will be with you wherever you go because what joshua doesn't need is more military training doesn't need to be better with a sword or with a bow and arrow he needs the presence of god with him wherever he is to go and god says that's exactly what i'm going to do for you the picture we get of God here is that of a coach and some of our kids are in sports camps this summer or starting different sports and kids if you're in uh, soccer you're going to have a coach and that coach knows that you need to know how to dribble a soccer ball you need to know how to pass a soccer ball you need to know how to kick towards the goal in, in a specific direction actually aiming for something kick the ball in the goal to score uh, the soccer ball and a good coach is going to know what you need and know how to give you those tools and so even though practice might be long or out in the hot sun it's a good thing your coach is giving you tools to do well 
in the game. And, and so what we see is God is attentive to his people and is going, he knows what they need and he's going to give them a leader to follow and then he's going to show them through this leader and mighty acts of power that ultimately he is all they need to fulfill all that he's asked them to do that. And so he's going to show mighty works that show his power. One of the ways he's going to do that is in uh, Genesis, sorry, Joshua and Jericho, their first battle inside the promised land. And you saw just a brief description on the screen. Imagine the Lord coming to Joshua with this instruction for their first battle in the promised land. And God's instruction is to march around this fortified city uh, one time per day for six days. And then on the seventh day to march around it seven times and then to blow trumpets and to be loud. Can you imagine Joshua as, as a coach getting all of his military generals together and saying, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. Like, What kind of look do you think they gave him when they heard these absurd instructions? And, and someone must have said, Joshua, there's no way this is going to work. This is a terrible idea. I imagine Joshua going to God. God, what's the real plan? There's got to be something better than this. They're going to laugh at me. And often we find with God, his instruction to us requires an element of faith where we do what he's asked us to do, trusting that he will come through today, trusting that he will come through tomorrow. You know the story. They march around the city. The walls crumble. They charge in, and not only does God give them that victory, but in the process of getting that victory, he instills confidence in his people that he is fighting their future battles for them. And we see that because Joshua sends spies into Jericho. Those spies visit this lady named Rahab, and in Joshua 2, verses 9 and 10, she tells them, we are trembling. Our city is terrified because we have heard of what God has already done for you. We get it. You're God's people. And she says, save me. Take me with you. We are terrified. Joshua 2, 9 and 10 record part of her words to those spies. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you were before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And, and so don't don't miss this as God fights their battles in real time as God fights their battles today. He is simultaneously fighting and preparing them for future battles, unbeknownst to them. She has heard of the reputation of God, and the people are trembling. So God is at work in what they can see, and God is at work in spectacular ways that far exceed anything that they can see. And so we see God again providing a leader for them to follow, and being faithful to prove to them that he is all they need to do everything that he's asked them to do, even though to them this seems like an impossible mission, uh, giants and fortified cities uh, to take over this promised land. Not just faithful 
to call in power leaders, God is faithful to call out and correct sin. And, and my guess is if I asked you to raise your hand and said, who likes it when God points out sin in their life, that nobody would raise their hand. I think most of us love it when God points out sin in other people's lives. That's fun. But not when God points out sin in our lives. And so God, uh, through the story of Achan, is going to call out sin in the camp of Israel, purge sin from the camp of Israel for the purpose of preparing Israel for the future that he has for them. Uh, Achan, uh, well, we'll just pick up the story in Joshua chapter 7. The first uh, five verses of Joshua 7. Uh, Joshua 6 tells us that some of the loot in Jericho, that all of the loot, in fact, was for the Lord. All of it was be de- to be devoted to him. They were not to take any of it. And Achan doesn't follow the rules. Joshua 7, 1 through 5. Uh, this is the account of that. And then this is how God responds to Achan's sin. It says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regards to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel. And he said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. So they've moved on from Jericho. They've taken things that they were told not to. Now they're preparing for Ai, the next battle. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. They melted, and they became as water. What's the sin here? What's what's going on? Uh, Achan was told not to. All of the people were told not to, and Achan disobeyed. He got greedy. What the Lord had provided for him was not enough. He coveted what belonged to the Lord's, and so he took something that was devoted to the Lord. We could spend a lot of time this morning talking about what does it mean to take something that is devoted to the Lord. It might be credit. It might be recognition. It might be taking responsibility for something in our life or something good that has come about. It might be the ownership or the possessiveness that we often have with regards to our time and our energy and our talents uh, and our treasure. Uh, Achan covets something that belongs to the Lord and he takes it. At the end of the day, as we saw last week, we're talking about the holiness of God's people because God is holy and cannot dwell with the unholy people. We talked about the tabernacle, two items in the courtyard of the tabernacle, the wash basin and the altar, a place to clean up and a place to offer up a sacrifice, right? A regular reminder that they were not worthy. A regular reminder that they were not holy and that God was. And so their unholiness must be dealt with if they are going to live in the presence of God and if his good for them is going to unfold in their midst. And so God in his kindness 
doesn't ignore something that could disrupt the fellowship of his people with his presence and his plans. It's kind of like in a marriage. If you ignore your brokenness or you ignore the brokenness of your spouse or you ignore the brokenness of your life together, your patterns and habits, you're not going to be left with much of a marriage. If God ignores the sin in the camp, the distance grows and there's not going to be much left of the relationship. And so God in his kindness intervenes, spotlights this sin and then uh, does two things that are kind of terrifying. <laughs> he lets them make their own plans. That should terrify us. He lets them make their own plans, and he lets them follow through with their own plans. They devise their own strategy for attacking AI. They look at the city, they survey it, and they say, it's not very strong. Jericho was way bigger. You see how quickly we dispatched of Jericho? This will be easy. Just send a few guys. He allows them to come up with their own plans that seem rational and sensible to them in the moment and he doesn't intervene he just lets them do what they're going to do and then he lets the results play out according to the plan that they've devised according to the strength that they possess and what happens they get whooped and so one of the things that we see here is that We can't make God be what we want him to be. He is who he is. So he comes down with judgment on his people. And what do we often want as it relates to us? Oh, God, be merciful. God, respond to me with infinite patience. God, respond to me with infinite grace. Uh, God, never bring about difficulty or punishment for me. Uh, We often want to make God be who we want him to be. We often want to make him respond to us how we want him to respond to us. We often want him to respond to others how we want him to respond to others, when we want him to respond to others in the way that we think he should, by our vantage point, respond to others. And God is who he is. He shapes us. We don't shape him. He directs us. We don't direct him. They have defied God. And we see the wrath of God ready to right the wrong. And it seems harsh to us that maybe 36 people should die because of Achan taking about six pounds of silver and maybe a pound and a half of gold. But God is who he is. And the sinfulness of sin is a significant theme throughout the Old Testament narrative, reminding God's people they are not holy and he is infinitely holy and that must be addressed. And so God is going to purge the nation of its sin. Um, God is going to come to Joshua. Joshua's freaked out. He's panicking. God, why have you brought us out here? God, why have you failed us? God, what about your great name? Joshua's response to God is priceless. God, what about your name and your great work? Now we're going to be laughed at in the promised land. No one's going to be afraid of us now. What about your name? And, and God says in Joshua 7, 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, Joshua, get up. You look silly. People in your camp have taken things that they were not supposed to. God gives Joshua instruction about how to identify the person who has taken the goods and what's interesting here is, is God gives him instruction and he only gives him the next step. He only gives him the next piece of the puzzle. He doesn't give him step-by-step instru- 
instructions, you know, two lefts and then a right and then five miles and then another left and then eight miles and another right. He just gives him the next step and says, Joshua, obey and trust me for tomorrow. Obey today, trust me tomorrow. Joshua goes and he does exactly what God has asked. And they root out Achan and Achan and his family and everything that he took is destroyed and then burned. And again, it seems harsh to us, uh, but burning in the Old Testament is often symbolic of something being offered up to the Lord. And so in a sense, what you have is all of these items that were taken in defiance of God's rule. The nation of Israel devotes back to the Lord. And, And then what we see is that God is faithful to bring about all of his promises to his people. God is faithful to do all that he is promised. And we see that in Joshua uh, chapter 8. Uh, and so we've got some, well, let's bump forward two slides. We've got some superheroes on the screen for the third slide here. Uh, and the idea is that uh, kids, most of you have a, have a favorite superhero uh, and we know that, that Iron Man is really cool, and he can do a lot of things. And if there was one toy that superheroes have that I'd probably most want, that suit probably is it. Um, but when it's out of batteries, just like your phone, it's dead, and it's useless. That's a major weakness. Uh, Superman, for all of his good, with kryptonite, is rendered pretty weak and pretty useless. And so uh, what we're going to see is that God has no weakness. God has no flaw. Um, God's plans can't be thwarted, and he's going to bring about his good for his people and do all that he has promised them to do. And so as Joshua is freaking out, God comes to him and and gives Joshua very specific instructions. And he says, Joshua, take the whole army, go to Ai, lay a trap, lay an ambush, When the men come out of the city to attack you, send in your guys behind them, burn the city. When they turn around, they see the city going up in smoke. They will look back and their hearts will be crushed and you will have no problem destroying everything. And it goes exactly as the Lord promised Joshua and they take the city and they burn it all. And then in just a minute, they're going to build an altar and worship God and reorient the entire nation under the rule of God. Um, but something's interesting. They're going to burn this city. They're going to destroy it again. And so if you're someone who reads through the Old Testament and you say, Man, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of destruction, the ground opens up sometimes and swallows people. It seems like when God's people conquer a city, they don't just make those people serve them. They don't just dispossess them and send them out far away why burning why so much destruction and so one of the neat things we see from this narrative through joshua is that what god is doing is even bigger than what god's people see it's about more than just real estate the promised land is a more it's about more than just real estate even about more than than god's presence with his people which is a central and significant theme deuteronomy 9 gives us a little bit of a glimpse about what God is doing as he systematically leads his people through the promised land, one by one, conquering these cities. Um, Deuteronomy 9.5, 
is going to tell God's people that not only is he being faithful to his good word, he is judging the wickedness of the inhabitants of the cities. Deuteronomy 9.5 says this, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. How many of you, don't raise your hand. Um, uh, would anyone be willing to be honest? Don't, don't raise your hand. Um, don't we often think when good things happen to us or good things happen to our kids or to our grandkids, well, I did a good job raising them, so of course. I, I, I set them on the right path, uh, of course. I, I've been faithful to the Lord, of course. Well, I've been really trying hard with the Lord, been really involved at church, been really generous to people, not surprised that he would choose to bless me in this way or, or answer this prayer in a way that is favorable. It's amazing how quickly we want to take responsibility for what God has done in our lives and, in fact, undermine the good gift of his generosity um, by uh, selfishly promoting ourselves. He says, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land he says, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you that he may confirm the word that, he, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so there's, there's two purposes there, right? God is being faithful. God said he was going to do this, and he is. God said he was going to do this, and it's been almost 600 years, but he is not slow. He is coming through just as he said he would. And not just that, he, God sees the wickedness of the nations, and God's hand is moved to judgment of the wickedness that he sees. In Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 18, uh, there's a description of that wickedness, and essentially it says, because of their idol worship, because it's so prevalent, because it's so rampant, the people have become corrupted. The people have become defiled. And, and it even goes so far as to say that the land itself was defiled because of their corruption. Uh, Genesis 15 adds a little bit more to this aspect of God's work. Uh, sometimes we think God's just reacting to what happens or to what he sees or that maybe a nation or a country or a group of people that, that their wickedness catches him off guard. In Genesis 15:16, he tells Abram way before this ever happens that his descendants are going to be in um, uh, slavery for 400 years and then they will come out. And he said it's, he's waiting for the completeness of the sin of the inhabitants of the land. Genesis 15:16 says, And they shall come out, this is God to Abram, and they shall come, at, they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity or the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so there's, I think there's something significant here for us because many of us, look at what's going on in the world and we maybe look at how Christians or churches or God's people are targeted in the East or in the Middle East or other parts of the country, world. And we think, God, do you see this? God, do you know what's going on? Are you going to do anything? Are you just going to stand back and do nothing and let this happen? Maybe in our own country, whether it's uh, legislation, immorality, uh, pick your topic. Uh, we look around, don't we, sometimes, and we say, God, are you going to do anything about this? Do you know what's going on? 
Do you have a plan? Are you going to help? Maybe in our own lives as well. Maybe you've been betrayed by a family member, taken advantage of by someone in a position of authority over you. Um, Maybe it's a sin in your own heart, uh, something, a fracture that's happened in your family. God, do you see what's going on? Do you have a plan? Are you going to do anything about this? Is God, are you faithful to me? And so what we see in Genesis, or Joshua 8, and in the rest of the book of Joshua, God is going to lead them through 31 different kings. They are going to conquer 31 different cities. As God says over and over, 31 times, I see it. I got a plan. I'm faithful. I got that. Uh, at the beginning of the service, you heard from the Moros and the, the trip they're, they're getting ready to go on. And uh, they mentioned first service. I don't know if they did second, that one of the places they're going uh, is a place where some missionaries died about 60 years ago trying to go into that country, that region, that area, this tribe, and to open up the door for the gospel to go in to what was previously an unreached people group. And all the missionaries died. And so at face value, it may have looked like a tremendous failure. At face value, it must have looked like, well, clearly God wasn't in that because it didn't go well. And our litmus test for is God in it tends to be, was it easy and did it go the way I wanted it? It didn't do either of those. Everybody died. And how neat is it now? 60 plus years later, people here get to be a part of a trip to go to the same area where those missionaries died. And we see that what it looked like failure for a time. It's really just something that God was unfolding over time and is an incredible success, an incredible work of the Lord, an incredible advancement of light going into darkness of people who are lost becoming spiritually found. And and we get to be a part of that. If you're here this morning and you're in a spot where you're maybe like the Hebrew people, maybe like the Israelites, and you see the giants, you see the fortified cities, and not much else. Admittedly, there was plenty for them to be afraid of. And what we see God saying to them over and over, 31 times, God is bigger than what is before us. God is faithful to bring about what he has promised. God is faithful in our lives, and he is faithful to see the wickedness, to see the sin, to see the evil in the world, and he has a plan for that too. I said earlier, we don't get to make God who we want him to be. We don't get to force his hand to action when we want to force his hand to action. We don't get to tell him when to respond and how to respond by the injustice that we see. But as God's people, as followers of Christ, we have confidence that one day every tribe will confess, right? every knee will bow, right? every tongue will declare that Jesus is Lord. That is our confidence as we sang, that we have seen him move mountains and we believe he will do it again. Uh, if you're here this morning and you'd like prayer uh, as you look at mountains and as you look at fortified cities and you look at giants, uh, you weren't meant to go through those by yourself. And, and so we have prayer cards in your bulletin that you can put in the offering bags that are going to come 
through in just a minute. Uh, at the end of the service, there will also be people up here that you can pray with that will come up during the final song. We weren't meant to go through those things alone. Um, God calls and equips people to go with us. Ultimately, what we discover is that he is everything that we need to do everything that he has asked us to. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we are just so quick to doubt. Uh, we confess that a lot of things uh, look like giants in fortified cities, and uh, they're not all that tall, and the walls aren't all that strong. Uh, and, and so we just even discover in our posture towards life and circumstances and relationships, uh, Lord, that we, we want to make ourselves the center of our world, uh, and we make our strength, uh, Lord, the measure of of what is difficult around us. And so we really want to move in this direction, Lord, where we invite you to purge us within like you did the camp of Israel through Achan so that we can go forward with your plan. And so we invite you uh, to do that work, trusting that as you are faithful to spotlight sin, you are faithful to lead us forward and to give us the victory. Lord, may we be a, a community May we be a, a group of people that become very comfortable with seeing our sin, believing it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance so that we may move forward in your presence, Lord, for your purposes according to your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.